0: You are listening to a message from Lanesville Christian Church. For more information about Lanesville Christian Church, please visit lanesvillechristian.church. Ready for Easter is we have a 24-hour prayer vigil. Uh, so we believe that as a congregation we should be praying without ceasing. And we believe as a congregation that that we can put together a team that over the Easter weekend, the biggest weekend for Christians Uh, we could all be praying together. So if you uh, have time that weekend, it's going to start like Friday afternoon and then end 24 hours after that. So Saturday afternoon, mathematically. Uh, So that is something that we're doing to celebrate Easter. Next weekend, we have a big Easter egg hunt and Easter extravaganza that uh, Natalie and Amy do so much work for. Um, and we 're going to have volunteers here that, that are going to do a lot of work. so if you have kids or you know of kids that, that would love to be here or you have or you would like to volunteer your time that 's going to be an awesome event next weekend Saturday starting at 10 a m so so many awesome things coming up uh, with Easter love the Easter season we have been getting ready for it through the sermon series we 've been talking about Jesus has been Betrayed, arrested after sharing communion with um, his disciples, and we have been going through the trials of Jesus uh, as they are trying to find him guilty to crucify on the cross. And we are in Matthew 27 today. I'm going to read verses 11 through 26 to start off. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. "'Which of the two do you want me to release to you?' asked the governor. "'Barabbas,' they answered. "'What shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah?' Pilate asked. "'Crucify him,' they all answered. "'Why, what crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. But they, all shout, but they shouted all the louder, "'Crucify him!' When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. "'I am innocent of this man's blood,' he said. "'It is your responsibility,' All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So we see here a murderer gets away with this. Uh, As I was studying, this reminded me of a, uh, uh, a very famous court case in American history. Being the young gun that I am, Uh, Is ancient history to me, but some of you all might remember the O.J. Simpson case. Um, On top of this being such a long time ago, um, I find this extraordinarily fascinating. For those of you who need the reminder or don't know about it, the people of the state of California v. Orenthal James Simpson, or O.J. Simpson, was a criminal trial in L.A. County Superior Court starting in 1994. I was not born yet. In which O.J. Simpson, a former National Football League player, broadcaster, and actor, was tried and acquitted for the murder of his ex-wife, Nicole Brown Simpson, and her friend, Ronald Goldman. The pair were stabbed to death outside of Brown's condominium in the Brentwood neighborhood of L.A. on the night of June 12, 1994. The trial spanned 11 months from uh, from November 9, 1994 to October 3, 1995. Once again, not been born yet. Three years later. Um... Recently, miniseries and documentaries and podcasts and books have all come out with more and more details about this case. And the, on top of it all being very entertaining and interesting, it's amazing how obviously guilty O.J. is. Like, as a country, we've all agreed he was acquitted. The jury was, like, not guilty. And as a country, we've all kind of come to the conclusion that wasn't right. Um, O.J. was so obviously guilty— that during the trial, comedian Norm MacDonald made jokes about him every opportunity he could on SNL, to to the point where Norm probably got fired for, actually. Uh, One of my favorite jokes being, OJ's pal Al Callings now has a 1-900 number. For $2.99 a minute, Callings will tell callers that OJ was innocent, and for $3.99 a minute, he will try to do it without laughing. (laughs) Upon the not guilty verdict handed down from the jury, Norm opened his segment with the iconic... Well, it is finally official. Murder is legal in the state of California. Murder is wrong. It's evil. We hate it. As a society, we, civilized societies have come to the conclusion we can't have people going around killing each other. It's bad. The loss of an innocent life is always bad. Uh, so this is something that, that we've agreed on. Murder, wrong, evil, terrible. And yet, we have people like OJ, people like Barabbas, who were able to avoid the punishment that was due them. Let's talk about Barabbas, a person we know very little about. As I was studying for this, everything and anything I found outside of Scripture about Barabbas was basically speculation. Uh, In my research, anyway. You might have some different historical documents I would love to see before second service to share with them. Um, There are—it is worth noting that all four Gospels— and the book of Acts record Barabbas. Uh, in the book of John, he is recorded as a thief. Now, your Bible might say murderer, but the same word used for the thieves on the cross in the original manuscript is used to describe Barabbas. So he was a robber, according to John. In Mark, Luke, and Acts, he is recorded as being a murderer. And in Mark and Luke, he is recorded as also being an insurrectionist. Uh, Luke twenty three nineteen says, Barabbas had been thrown into prison For an insurrection in the city and for murder. So, with so little known about Barabbas, here are some things that we tend to speculate about him. Uh, Barabbas, being an insurrectionist, was probably throwing a rebellion against the Roman government, meaning he was trying to do the thing that he thought the Messiah. would would be doing, right? Trying to overthrow the Roman government. He thought that was the Messiah's job. So in a way, he might have been trying to do the thing that Jesus was trying to accomplish, which is being the Messiah. Uh, Pilate offering Barabbas could have been an appeal to the Pharisees. Uh, The Pharisees embraced the safety of Rome, and Rome allowed the Pharisees to have powers over the Jews. Whenever uh, people like Barabbas start rebellions and insurrections against Rome, The Romans are going to crack down harder on the power that the Pharisees have. So the Pharisees wouldn't want someone like Barabbas running around and hanging out with them. Uh, Pilate probably chose Barabbas as the least likely prisoner that the crowd would want. We know that there were two thieves hung on either side of Jesus. Those people could have been offered in place of Barabbas, but Pilate did not want Jesus to be crucified. He was told by his wife, do not have anything to do with the death of this man. So he offered the worst prisoner, Barabbas. But once again, all that is speculation. Here's what we know beyond the shadow of a doubt from Scripture Barabbas was worthy of his punishment. We know that from Scripture, Barabbas was clearly worthy of punishment. Barabbas was a murderer, he was an insurrectionist, a rebel, a thief. Jesus, on the other hand, insisted upon respect for the government. Uh, we see in Matthew 22, he says, give to Caesars what is Caesars, give to God what is God, when referring to taxes. Like, like, Jesus insists on respect for the government. A message furthered by his followers in Romans and Peter. Uh, Romans 13, one says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So, Jesus... He, he was not for insurrections like this. He was not for rebellions like this. He, he was, he's pro, hey, don't attack the government. Uh, be under the governing authorities. From what I can gather in Scripture, this might be a little controversial, but I think Jesus was probably anti-murder. No? Like, for, for instance, Jesus, he brought three people back from the dead. He is undoing the work that Barabbas is doing. Barabbas is killing people, and, and for everybody he's murdered, Jesus has brought three people back. Like, he's a net positive on the death rate right now. So, according to both Roman and Jewish law, Barabbas, guilty, worthy of the punishment that he should have received, worthy to be hung on a cross. The Pharisees, they're caught in their own lie trying to accuse Jesus because Jesus is innocent of wrongdoing against the people. Matthew twenty six fifty nine through 60 and Mark 14 tell us that the Pharisees had a hard time bringing any evidence against Jesus and were caught in their lies. Mark 14, 55 through 59 tells us the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days later we'll build another one not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. So the, you have Barabbas caught in the act of rebellion, caught in the act of insurrection, caught in the act of murder, versus Jesus, this man they're having a hard time bringing any evidence against. Who's the one that should be hung on a cross? Barabbas, obviously. This brings us to the second thing that we know about Barabbas beyond the shadow of a doubt from Scripture. Barabbas was saved by the grace, power, and plans of God. Right? Like, Jesus was powerful. Jesus would have had the ability, this is talked about in Scripture, Jesus would have had the ability to pull himself out of that situation. God would have had the ability to pull Jesus out of that situation. But instead, Jesus is the one who, That through God's plans, through God's power, and through God's grace, takes the punishment that Barabbas deserved. And Barabbas is saved from death and destruction because of this. And in this way, Barabbas lacks uniqueness. Barabbas isn't that unique uh, because all throughout the Bible, all throughout the stories of the Bible, we see people saved by God's grace, power, and plans. Look at Moses and the Israelites. We always talk about how Moses led Israel out of Egypt. Is that that true? Is that really what happened? If we take away the plagues that God sends, if we take away the burning bush that God sends to Moses, if we take away the parting of the Red Sea, if we take away the manna from heaven, if we take away the the light that is guiding the Israelites through the desert— Does Israel have a chance of getting free from Egypt by what Moses does? Moses was a shepherd living in the middle of nowhere who had the guilt of murder on his hands, and he's just willing to die like that until God calls him to go back into Egypt. The Israelites are stuck in slavery. If we remove God from the story, Israel would have been dead in the wilderness or killed by— Egyptian chariots, or still stuck in slavery, probably not today, but for a while after that, it is all God's doing that Israel is brought out of slavery. It's not what Moses did, does. As a matter of fact, in Numbers twenty six through 12, we see Moses kind of take a little credit for, for the freeing of of Israel, and for what they had been through. The Lord tells Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Now, Moses was told, speak to the rock. Moses goes, and he strikes the rock. Water still comes out, which is interesting to note. But in verse 12, we we see the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites— You will not bring this community into the land I give them. God is telling Moses, Moses, you're not the one that was freeing Israel. You're not the one that was guiding Israel. I'm the one that was doing all of that. Why are you trying to take credit from me? Why are you trying to take my spot as the leader of Israel? God is the one who is doing all of this work. What about the story of David versus Goliath? The classic story of of David, the little guy, taking down the giant. Well, it's important to note that the hero of the story, David, was a young boy who wasn't even picked to be in the battle initially. And his job is to face off against this giant, the champion of the Philistines, this massive warrior covered in armor with sword and spear. It's a literal miracle that David can be a warlord like this with a slingshot. If you read the story of David versus Goliath and you're like, man, young children can beat soldiers when they have a slingshot, you got the wrong message from the story. The message of the story isn't that David can defeat Goliath. It's what can God do through David? Even David notes this in 1 Samuel 17 when he's talking to Goliath. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Whom you have defied. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. David notes before the victory is even his that God is going to do this. Not David, not the young boy with the slingshot, but the big God who has the power to overcome the enemy. We can learn from the scriptures that the heroes of our faith aren't the ones who overcame but are those who recognize the one who will overcome the enemy. One more, one more. Joseph. Uh, Joseph, who, who uh, interprets dreams, right? He interprets Pharaoh's dreams and uh, Egypt is able to avoid famine because he interprets dreams. Well, in Genesis 41, whenever Pharaoh calls Joseph up to interpret his dreams, what does Joseph say? It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph is saying, I'm not actually the one that interprets dreams. God is telling me what is going to happen. God is the one giving me the message. In verse 25, the, dream of Pharaoh are, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Joseph says, I'm not the one doing this. And this famine that comes uh, during the dreams, so what happens is, uh, Pharaoh gets a dream, seven years of lots of food are going to come, seven years of famine, right? And that's the, that's the interpretation of the dream. And Joseph goes, hey, during the seven years of lots of food, we're going to store up all that food, and during the seven years of famine, we're going to survive. If Joseph doesn't interpret that dream, not only does Egypt get wiped out, but that food is important for Israel to eat as well. So God's people, Israel and Egypt, would have fallen due to the famine. The famine would have defeated everyone in that region, if it wasn't for God interpreting Joseph's dreams. If we remove God from this story, everyone dies from famine. And Joseph rots in a prison. So, we see Barabbas, who isn't a hero of the faith, is not a righteous man. Moses and and David and Joseph and Abraham and and Noah, these are are our heroes of the faith— Because they trusted God. Because they listened to God. Not because of the awesome things that they did, but because of the awesome things that God did through them. We see Barabbas follows a long lineage of people in the Bible that benefited from the grace, power, and plans of God. A lineage that starts with Abraham, that starts before Abraham, and has fallen upon you and I. When we remove God from these stories, we see failure, defeat, destruction. Have you tried to remove God from your story? Have you removed God from your marriage, your work, your relationship with your children or grandchildren? Have you removed God from your schooling, from your sports? from your victories, from your defeats? Have we as a church, have we removed God from, from any of our ministries, making it more about those who minister than, than, the, than the ministry themselves, than the scriptures themselves, and than the people that we're ministering to? Then have we made it more about us than God? Do we ever remove God from our worship? The most dangerous thing we can do is try to step into the place of God, and make it about us. And make it about what we've done. Make it about the awesome things that we're doing. When we take credit for our lives, for our abilities, for those who come to church through our ministries, we're telling God, this is my story now. 1 Corinthians ten thirty one tells us, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Is your life a reflection of that? Is everything that we're doing For the glory of God. No matter what we're doing, is it about what God is doing in us? We have the same abilities to save ourselves that Joseph had to save Egypt, that Moses had to save the Israelites, that David had to save himself from the Philistine, that Barabbas had to save himself from the cross. We don't. And while some of us might feel discouraged by this, thinking what we're, we're pointless, we don't matter. What this should actually do is make us feel empowered. I can let God take over and see what he is going to do in my life. Uh, Ray Comfort, if any of you guys have heard the name or don't know the name, uh, he does the uh, Way of the Masters uh, evangelism ministry. Um, he, he really pushes, hey, just go out to anywhere and everywhere and tell people about God. And he has like a, a kind of a formula on how to do it that's really effective. Uh, But he talks, one of my favorite things I ever heard him say was about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 26-40. In this story, Philip, a a God-fearing man, uh, he's told by an angel, go and meet this convoy on its way, leaving Jerusalem, going back to Ethiopia, and on his way there, uh, there is a eunuch, an Ethiopian eunuch, who is reading from the scroll of Isaiah about the prophecies of Jesus. And Philip goes and he, he uses this scroll to convert the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian goes, hey, there's some water here? Let, let's get baptized. Let's, let's do it. I want to be baptized right now. And then it says in verse uh, 40 or verse 39, when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I don't know if that means he got teleported, if, if he literally got picked up and put somewhere else, or if the Spirit of the Lord was just like, hey, Philip, go somewhere else now. Um it carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at somewhere else, uh, Azotes, whatever. Uh, anyway, so this whole point is we might read this story and think, oh no, poor new Christian, poor Ethiopian eunuch. How is he going to grow in his faith now that the person that was ministering him has left him? Where's the discipleship? Uh, How how is he going to study further? How is he supposed to to tell other people about God? All he has been equipped with is the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's all he has. Going into Ethiopia, he doesn't have his mentor in Philip. He doesn't have a a family of believers around him. All he has is the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. And maybe God is saying in this passage, that's enough. That's enough. What else do we need? I, I love, I love uh, the, the Sunday morning Bible study that Kevin Cornwell leads. I love the Tuesday night Bible study that Art Adams leads. I love coming here and, and, and hearing the sermons. I love being built up by my brother and sisters in Christ. And, and it's so important for, that, for us to have that. But at a certain point, we have to believe and trust God that we are already equipped to do the work he's laid out for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You have this? You might have it on your phone. You're thoroughly equipped for every good work. John 14, 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You've been baptized. You've accepted the Holy Spirit. You're ready. You're equipped. Right now, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to harp on this point too much, um, but Neil King is in Kenya. And this has been seen like a miracle to our church, that Neil King is in Kenya right now. Uh, and it's awesome. It is awesome that he is, that he is going and he is preaching in Kenya. And Neil, has, Neil doesn't know Swahili Neil didn't go to Bible college or, or missionary college. Uh, Neil just knew that he has to fulfill the Great Commission, that he has to go and do the things that God has told him to do. And so he takes a bunch of Bibles and he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he is doing the Lord's work in Kenya. He's been equipped to do that. And the same Spirit that's equipped Neil, it's equipping us. You're equipped. To go and fulfill the things that God has called you to do. Not because of how great you are, but because of how great God is. With this same attitude, we could change this country. Students could change their schools. You can change your family. But we all have to understand, we're not the hero. God is. So we go back to Barabbas. We see... Barabbas, uh, and, and how does the passion of the Christ portray Barabbas? He, he's scarred, he's filthy, he's dirty, he, he's arrogant, and that's kind of how we see Barabbas. He's a filthy, dirty sinner who was very blessed to be able to have Jesus take his place. The two things we know beyond the shadow of a doubt about Barabbas, he's a filthy, dirty sinner who was very blessed to have Jesus take his place. The only two things that we know about Barabbas are true about you and I. He's a sinner, and he was very blessed to have Jesus take his place. The fact of the matter is that Barabbas versus Jesus up up in front of the crowd is a physical representation of the gospel message. Jesus has the power to pull himself out of this situation. He doesn't deserve the same punishment that was at one point chosen for Barabbas. Ephesians 2, 4-5, through But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. No one's ever read this story and gone, man, Look at Barabbas saving himself. Man, Barabbas is such a hero. No one's ever did that because he did nothing to earn the replacement of Jesus. But that was a gift he received. And so this represents the gospel to us. An unworthy man received the grace of God. Romans 5, 7 through 8, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. An unworthy man in Barabbas received the grace of God, received Jesus in his place. And an unworthy man up here has received that as well. And you have received that as well. The second thing, and this is always a thing that stands out to me as someone who struggles with the sin of my shame all the time, is when Jesus was up there standing next to Barabbas and, and the crowd called for Barabbas, Jesus knew the type of person he would be dying for. Jesus saw who he was dying for, a thief, a murderer, a rebel, and he knew who he would be dying for. You know, I don't like telling the story because I'm like the bad guy in it. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the idiot in the story. Um... But my brother, Atticus, uh, he, he's part of this ministry who pushes... This thing called prayer walking, which is really awesome. You go to a neighborhood, and you might go in front of houses and pray for them, or if you are bold, you might knock on the door and go, hey, how can I pray for you? So this is an easy way to meet your neighbors. This is an easy way to minister to people because you're hearing their needs. Uh, You might even be able to help out with those physically. You might be the answer to the prayer, and if you can't answer those prayers, then you can still pray for them or even with them. And, you know, you deal with a lot of rejection during this, and I'm not someone who likes rejection, so this is difficult for me to do sometimes. But I remember coming home, and my wife, Loria, who loves signing up for things, uh, she goes, hey, Atticus asked uh, where we could go prayer walking next, and I volunteered our neighborhood. Uh, And this was when we lived in downtown New Albany. It's not. It wasn't a pretty neighborhood. Like, uh, it, it was a pretty scary neighborhood. The house that we had used to be a drug house. Like, this is the type of place neighborhood that we're talking about. And Lori was like, "Yeah, a bunch of people are going to come here, and we're going to go out and meet all of our neighbors and, and pray for them." And I'm like, "This sounds terrifying, but whatever." Uh, and so we go and we meet so many of our neighbors. It was, it was a great experience. And it's it's getting late. That this is the moral of the story. It was getting late, and uh, you know it, there comes a time when you're like, man, as a Christian, if you knock on a door, now you're being a bad representative of Christ because people do not want you to interrupt their nights. Um, it was getting late, and, and we're up to our last house on our street, and we go, hey, we're going to knock on this door. We're going to to talk to them, and then we're going to call it a night. Um, it Was my turn to knock on the door, and so I go. I knock on the door, and an older gentleman opens the door. Uh, he had lived a life, I could tell. And I, you know, I do the spiel. I'm like, hey, I'm your neighbor. Uh, I just want to ask you how, how we can pray for you, all this stuff. And, and he goes, oh, man, you know, that, that Jesus stuff, and uh, it's too late for me. And, and I go, I'm the idiot in the story. I go, you know, like, like, it was late. It was late. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, you know it is late. You know, sorry if, uh, if we ruined your night or whatever. And, and I let him close the door. I turn around, and my, and my wife and, and whoever else was there, their faces had just dropped. Because they're like, Simon, he was telling you it was too late for him and God. I'm like, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, as a minister, you would think I would have gotten that. But I was like, I was just right to get out of that situation. I was very disappointed in myself. I didn't turn around. We didn't, we didn't knock on the door again and be like, it wasn't too late for him. And, and it's sad that people believe that. And I hope that is not a message that they've received from me or, for, or from this church or from any church. I hope it's, it's something that they misunderstood that someone might think it's too late for them to accept Christ. That the life that they're lived, that they've lived, Christ couldn't forgive. That Christ doesn't want them back. Among my greatest hopes is that when I get to heaven, I'm shocked by who I see there. That's what I hope. I, I hope I'm shocked by what who I see there. I know not everyone hopes that, and this might be weird, but I want to get to heaven and see Barabbas. I want to get to heaven and I want to see OJ. I want to see him in heaven. Like, I want to see people that I'm like, wow, that's awesome. You accepted the grace of God. You accepted what God wanted to do for you. I want that when I get to heaven. It's, as a Christian, it's not my job to decide the limits of God's grace, It's not my job to decide who has received God's grace. It is my job to declare the gospel message and hope that every single sinner inside and out of this room are drawn to baptism and relationship and and repentance with Christ through it. As a Christian, it is our job to repeat the message of Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, that's my job. I don't decide who gets to hear it. I just need to say it and hope that people will respond to it and hope that people will accept Christ and follow him. And finally, Barabbas did nothing to deserve Jesus' death in his place. I wanna I wanna call the worship team up here. We're gonna we're gonna do one more song. But we have to understand we're not the heroes of the story. Barabbas wasn't the hero of his story, he was a sinner. And Jesus died in his place because of the love and grace of Christ. And I don't deserve it. I don't don't think you all deserved it. I believe from the scriptures that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I can't boast about God saving me because of what I did. I can only talk about God saving me and boast about who God is because of his love and his grace for me. I don't know what Barabbas' reaction to Jesus' sacrifice in his place was. But I know what Jesus would have wanted it to be. He would have wanted Barabbas to feel the overwhelming love and grace of that moment. And when Barabbas hears about the movement following Christ— Jesus would have wanted Barabbas to join the church and tell others about the awesome things that Christ had done for him. The same thing that Jesus would have desired for Barabbas, he desires for you and I. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's died for us. He took our place. He loves us, and he's calling us to follow him. The question is, how do we respond? Do we leave like Barabbas might have, going back to our sinful ways, thinking that we can do better than God? Or do we respond and go, I'm going to perish if I don't change what I'm doing. I'm going to be destroyed. I'm going to I'm gonna be in ruin and I need God to take over my life and I need to trust in him. I hope you all respond to this message today. And if you've all responded, I hope that you are ready and able to share it with others. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day and everyone that has gathered here today. Lord, thank you for this church family. And Lord, thank you for Jesus. His love for us his grace to us, his forgiveness toward us, Lord. Lord, I just pray that everyone in this room has either accepted that grace and love or is ready to and is willing to and is about to, Lord. Lord, we just pray that we live lives that, like 1 Corinthians tells us to do, that glorify you in all things. That we realize we're not the heroes of the story, but that you're the hero of our story. Lord, help us to share this message with everyone that we can. To leave here knowing you better. And walking closer with you. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.